Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. A Reuters investigation has found that over a thousand U.S. residents have died after police stunned them with tasers. The taser, a paralyzing electric stun gun, was ruled as a cause or contributing factor in 153 of those deaths. Reuters found that 9 in 10 of the people who died weren't armed and that 1 in 4 had a mental illness crisis or neurological disorder. Reuters analyzed autopsy findings on over 700 of the over 1,000 deaths documented in incidents in which the police used tasers. All those deaths took place since the year 2000, when tasers started becoming popular with U.S. police. A large number of the deaths involved other kinds of force also, such as batons and pepper spray. As Reuters said, quote, Many who die are among society's vulnerable, unarmed, in psychological distress, and seeking help. End quote. Over 100 of the fatal incidents started with a 911 call for help during a medical emergency. On Tuesday, August 22nd, Missouri Governor Eric Greitens halted the execution of 48-year-old Marcellus Williams four hours before he was scheduled to die from lethal injection. Williams was convicted of the murder of Felicia Gale in 2001 and scheduled for execution in 2015. But the Missouri Supreme Court stayed the initial sentence to permit further DNA testing of the murder weapon. The results of those tests did not match Williams' DNA, leading his attorneys to argue that Williams was empirically exonerated. However, the Supreme Court elected to ignore the results and move forward with Williams' sentence. Outcry over the racialized nature of Williams' conviction and neglect of exonerating evidence led Governor Greitens to sign an executive order halting the execution and calling for a special board of inquiry to review the case. Law Street reported that prisons in Ohio and Michigan ban books that attempt to teach computer programming. In other states and countries, prison education programs cover that topic. Ohio's banned books include Beginning Linus Programming, 4th Edition. Michigan prisons ban inmates from reading books like Windows Game Programming for Dummies, which the Department of Corrections calls a, quote, threat to the order and security of the institution, unquote. In total, 15 books are banned because they include information about computer programming. Among them are ones on web design and another intended to teach the elderly to use computers. In contrast, at California's San Quentin Prison, a program seeks to prepare inmates for re-entry into non-prison life through web education and career training opportunities. In 2014, the first computer programming curriculum in a U.S. prison began in San Quentin. Inmates who take part create programs and other software for new and established companies. This week's story is that of Kara Wild. We first give some background on her case and then hear from her friends and loved ones who share some stories about Kara. We start with a statement from her support website, which reads, Kara Wild is an artist, comrade, and resilient force of nature, currently being detained in France for her alleged participation in a protest against draconian labor reforms and police repression. She is a trans woman and is currently being held in a men's jail. She is also a U.S. citizen 
and has been denied bond because French authorities consider her a flight risk. On May 18, 2016, thousands of people converged in Paris to defy an ongoing siege of police violence and to oppose a new neoliberal labor reform. During one of these marches, a police car was attacked and set on fire. Kara was brutally arrested in connection to this incident more than a full week later, on May 26th, at a separate event near La Place de la Nation. Despite a distinct lack of evidence, she is being accused of smashing a pole through a police car's windshield moments before it was set on fire. Her charges are attempted voluntary manslaughter of a person holding public office, destruction of property, group violence, and participating in a masked armed group. Kara is among six people currently facing charges in connection to this incident. To make matters worse, France's Prime Minister, Manuel Valls, is vowing to execute unrelenting punishment in order to set an example and demobilize protests. In order to better understand the context of her arrest and persecution, we asked another participant in that struggle for an introduction to the background of the law, the movement against it, and the months of demonstrations, occupations, blockades, and riots that occurred in the mass effort to block the law. In France, in spring 2016, there was this movement against a proposed law, so-called Loi Travail, so literally labor law, but um, that people soon ended up calling loi travail, like in the imperative form of the verb to work, because it was literally a successful attempt in the end, because the law ended up being forced by the government, even though they didn't have a majority to vote it. So yeah, this law was about uh, giving more power to the employers on whether they would give proper working conditions to them, their employees or not. So I won't get into all the details of the law, but basically it was giving less power to the state to regulate the working conditions and more power to the employers. And so the movement was at first led by the working unions but soon progressed into very enthusiastic street protests where the heads of the demos were taken by autonomous groups. And so even though each Thursday there were these official demos um, in the morning organized by high school, end of high school students, and in the afternoon the huge union protests the part of autonomous political group grew among that movement. A turning point, a shifting point, was also when uh, Nuit Debout started. Uh, so from the Place de la République, we often would um, march spontaneously at night time, so really out of the official schedule of the movement. In October 2014, on the Zad du a man was um, accidentally killed by the police. Um, accidentally, but without the police defending anything else than, the, than themselves. So he was um, hit with a grenade, a concoction grenade. And uh, from, that, from then on, 
a huge movement happened in France for about over one month in many cities where people would protest against police brutality without like asking for anything, just opposing the police. <laughs> so the main chant uh, or the one that is the most easily remembered is Tout le monde déteste la police. So everyone hates the police. Of course, uh, the hate against police didn't start there, but it was um, an event that was uh, close in many people's mind, I think, when the labor law movement happened. And so, of course, in the media, each time a movement like this one happens, you feel like media just discovered that police brutality existed and they they presented it like something new or that something people didn't know about. But as the movement went on and on, it was more and more obvious that the police was using force, disproportionate force against the protesters. There were a lot of injuries during, during the movement against police brutality too, but also during the labor law movement. We've asked Kara's friends and loved ones to share their thoughts on Kara. 14 months ago, Kara was apparently in France uh, during this time of massive uh, demonstrations that were happening like multiple times a day, every day, that was super disruptive to French society. And these protests were against the, the law de travail, these French labor reforms that would decrease workers' rights and screw over students, basically similar to the right-to-work laws that are here in the U.S. And so in the midst of this, uh, these protests, which were also taking on like a very anti-cop uh, attitude, some people independently decided to schedule a pro-cop rally in the center of Paris to you know, share their appreciation for the guards of, of this terrible law. So while this rally was happening, one street away, there was a giant anarchist protest and people saw a cop car and took the moment to attack this cop car. In relation to that incident, in which a cop car was lit on fire with the cops inside of it, Kara Wilde and six others were arrested. So she has been in prison, in largest prison in Europe for 14 months now. Sometimes it seems like from letters she's like filled with hope and like inspiration and thinks that like we can win and is like excited and feels like she'll get out by the end of the year and then other days just feels really sad and despondent and like the world is ending and we're living in the midst of the apocalypse. Well, Kara's my daughter and she's been in prison in France since May of last year, late May. It's been obviously terribly difficult for her, and but also terribly difficult for her whole family, for um, me and her dad and also her two siblings. And we feel frustrated that there isn't much we can do to help her. The one thing we can do is to write letters to her. So I've been writing her pretty much every week since she's been in prison, and she's very good about writing back. So I've been getting a lot of letters. The letters help me so much because when I... When I write, I feel like I'm almost with her, talking to her, and when I get a letter, it's like she's here talking to me. So, Kara likes to talk, so in the past, before this happened, when she gets a chance to come home, or when, 
you know, it's great. She's interesting. She has an interesting life, and she tells me a lot about what's going on with her friends and what she's been doing, and she describes them and what they're up to, and she tells me about what she's been thinking about, and sometimes, like, on a long road trip or something, it's like, it's like we have a long time to talk back and forth, and it's it's not just about stuff that's happened, but it's about what she's been th learning about and, and thinking about, and I'm so happy to hear about all of it, and it gets me thinking, and I respond to her, and we have, a great, we have great talks that way. Well, I miss her so much, but one good thing is that when, not exactly in the same way, because, you know, these letters, it takes three weeks before she gets a letter from me, that takes three weeks before I get a letter back from her, so it's a big long delay. But there's also other ways I feel close to her, like she's always loved the night time and the stars and the moon. And so when I see the moon, I think about her. When I see the stars, I think about her. When I see the fireflies, I think about her. And when I'm working in my garden, I think about her because she likes to garden. And I like to garden too. And I think about her and how she would like to see what I'm doing. And I would like to be able to share with her what I'm doing. And the plants that are going well and the plants that aren't going so well and why. And also things about like when I walk near the path around the reservoir, I see different things like I saw some beavers and they were being chased by some geese. That was very exciting and actually sometimes now we get to talk on the phone once in a while. So I was able to tell her on that very day, it was her birthday, that like, oh my gosh, I saw these two beavers and they were being chased by these two geese and then she got to wondering about like how beavers find a new place to be how do they find a new body of water because after a certain point they have to like go out and find a place to be and anyway we both share this sort of curiosity about things like why things happen I love how Kara always wants to understand how things in nature work and and also in society how they all work together and it's something I like to think about too so we we share that just saying, I miss her a lot, and her letters help me. And when we get to talk on the phone for a short while, that helps me. That's all. It's hard. I miss her. So I'm I'm Rena. I am Kara's uh, younger sister. And I'm Erin, and I'm Kara's youngest sibling. So hello. We got together tonight to do this because we don't really know how to do it by ourselves. But it's, we both miss Kara a lot, and so we want to do something. Kara is probably, in, I want to say, one of the most uh, complete humans I've ever known. That like, It never even occurred to me that someone wouldn't see her as a beautiful and incredible human being. It helps that I've known her my entire life. <laughs> I feel like I feel like siblings are like that. Like she's got all the, you know, all the beautiful, wonderful, you know, and like amazing parts of her, but we're also since we know her so well, we also know everything that's frustrating and irritating. It's about true. Her. It's true. Um, and I want to shake her and say, "Just come on." All right. And I think part of that is why I I say she's one of the most complete yeah. humans that I know because she is one of the most beautiful human beings that I know and also and one of the most frustrating human beings that I know. And also one of the home humans you know the most, the most completely. Yes.
In 2015, Kara and I decided to ride trains to the Vermont Rondi, and I'd never been on a train trip before. Uh, so I was really excited, and we went to the hop-out spot in my Midwestern city, and our crew change was, like, from 2011. This was 2015, and it said that uh, that a junk train headed down to Elkhart around, like, 10 p.m. every weekday night, but it seemed like the crew change had switched, and around midnight, the train headed north, And so instead of, when we realized that, instead of returning home to my house, I was like, no, we must wait here and see if a train goes south. We can't see my roommates. We've already said goodbye. Uh, and we were, like, hiding in some trees. And Kara was, like, ended up in, like, some swampy area because we were right by the river and she got soaked and was really cold, and was like, come on, can we please go back? And I was like, we can't go back. We've already said goodbye, and I was being really stubborn. And so we just, like, hid out in this, like, abandoned factory all night and didn't really get any sleep and were, like, swarmed by mosquitoes. And then in the morning, we uh, hitchhiked down to Elkhart, and our train was leaving around 4. It was, like, 11. So we ate some food and then went to a laundromat to put uh, Kara's clothes in the dryer. And we were both, like, sitting in the laundromat chairs, like, leaning against each other. And it was summer, so Kara was wearing a tank top and had her sweater in the dryer. And we were just, like, leaning on each other, sleeping for, like, a half an hour, when suddenly we were awoken by a laundromat attendant who was like, "'Excuse me, ma'am!' this isn't appropriate. There's children here. Your breasts are hanging out. And uh, Kara's shirt had slipped off and she was flashing everybody. And we were both like really startled to be awoken like that. And like, she was like, whatever. And like, we gathered our things and left and had a really good laugh about it for the rest of our trip. If anyone's familiar with Chicago, you probably know about the Damon Silos, and if you even know about the Damon Silos, you, you've probably already met Kara because she used to live there. So the Silos are kind of on this peninsula in in a bend between the, the, the Sanitary Canal and the south branch of the Chicago River. They used to hold grain. They were grain silos, and they're about 12 stories tall, maybe. There's like six of them, and they're huge. At one point, in their maybe a century of existence, they became a, a place to hold cement. In 1977, there was an explosion, and since then, the the whole plant has been out of commission, and and it's just massive. It's massive and it's beautiful. She turned this post-apocalyptic ruin into a squat that was just so magical, and it had chickens. It had these chickens that she bought with food stamps that are intended to be, you know, slaughtered. And uh, and so they're already kind of, like, like ill and, like, and pumped with all kinds of, like, you know, over-vaccinated and, 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 like, not really intended to live beyond a certain age. And anyway, so she had these chickens and a garden. And she even made a shadoof. She made this, like, thousand-year-old 
Egyptian lover to to like take water out of the Chicago River. And um and she used that that water to just water the plants that she planted and really the only thing that came up was radishes. But that's because the land was like just super polluted with toxic heavy metal. <laughs> Karas finds these cracks in an urban landscape and thrives in them. Whoever stumbled upon the Damon silos, whether it was like a kid ditching high school or like someone urban exploring or or like kids doing graffiti or whatever. She always showed them all the secrets of that space. Well, she ended up doing this, painting this W-themed door for the yurt, which had, right, it was, uh, it had wolves and whales and winter, I believe, as well as water. Um, and then the to top it all off, there was Cassiopeia, in the sky, which is the W-shaped constellation. So she had wolves in the woods and whales in the water. And then she had mushrooms growing in the woods. Oh, and she had... uh, There was a couple of M's thrown in there. Maple tree. There's a maple tree with the leaves. And it was going through the seasons. Yeah. And then um, mushrooms and something else. But it was a really beautiful painting, and she painted it all on the door to her house. And then any time you were going into her house, you saw these. She built this yurt and then loaded it onto a truck and brought it to Chicago and put it in an abandoned lot in Chicago. So she had this beautiful yurt, this door that uh, was the, the portal to her world. She was good at making living spaces really feel like a living space. Oh, and also another really, like, beautiful thing that she's really into that we would do together when I would visit her in Chicago is, like, going to the, like, native plantings that Chicago does and harvesting the seeds. And then she would, like, solarize parts of, like, abandoned fields where she would live with, like, black tarps that she would find or, like, carpets. And then we would plant the native seeds. And, like, we're trying to re-prairie these, like, native fields. And that was, like, a really beautiful project that I hope to continue and she gets out. Some of the people that we interviewed shared their experiences visiting a loved one in French prison. Some things are really different, like you can wear your own clothes, you don't have to wear uniforms. So a lot of the trans prisoners rely on the help of like NGOs. There's this group called Acceptiste, like it's like a trans advocacy group, and they help get the trans women clothes. And then there's this woman named um, Larissa who is like the only volunteer with her organization, and she visits like all of the trans women in Fleury-Mergy, both the ones that are in the women's prison and the ones that are in the men's prison. Uh, Kara's like in solitary for the most part. She's on a block with like uh, trans women, but also on that block, it seems like there's men who are on lockdown and just like yell all the time, which is really like upsetting and horrible. And like the guards hate her and misgender her all the time and are just like terrible people. And will be super arbitrary, like not let her wear earrings to a visit or something like that. My partner and I went to Paris and we thought that everything was okay with getting the permits to visit and and actually like went to the jail only to be turned back and denied because they said that we didn't actually have permission. 
it set off this whole crazy odyssey of trying to figure out what was going on and then how to appeal the fact that we were denied and then how to just like rush it through. It was, it was like a, maybe like a two week process while we were in France doing this appeal while, you know, what we really wanted to be doing was just to be visiting our friend at every possible visiting day. So finally, after writing our own appeal, because her lawyer felt like it was a waste of time, and then it wouldn't work. Um, so we wrote our own appeal, and then a friend translated it. And getting a letter from Kara's mom, and and the help of like so many people in France, we finally got to see her the day before we left Europe. So yeah, so we did. We got to see her for for 40 minutes. And I think after not seeing her for about a year and a half, I think you see the strain of being in solitary for 14 months. Kara is a trans woman, and so she's being held in segregation. And it seems like most of the people who are also there to visit their friends and family inside the prison, like overwhelmingly were majority Middle Easterners and people of African descent. So we had to kind of go off into this other section where all the people in solitary are being held. And I think besides sexual minorities, queer people, trans people, the other like group of people that are held in solitary are radicals who the prison guards want to keep out of the general population, whether that be of like a political bent or a religious bent. So there were some people who were also there in our wing uh, visiting people in solitary. Really, what would be amazing and fantastic and really special is uh, international solidarity. So, you know, wherever you are, like, finding any node of of uh, carceral society and and either attacking it or exposing it, because a lot of these things, a lot of their offices and their um, logistics compounds exist in plain sight, Anything to show that there's a, a lot of us outside who are fighting against the same things that, that she's fighting against now and was fighting against before and will continue. To hear more about Kara's case, you can check out last week's episode of The Final Straw. We close with a song written and performed by Kara herself. Back in April, Kara wrote a powerful letter about her unyielding stance toward the judicial system. You can read that at her support site, freecarawild.org. On the site, you can also see her artwork and get information on how to write to her. Kara's trial is set for the end of September. We had a meltdown in the car As we drove from NYC And you wanted to get out right there and then But then later in the drive You stopped being mad at me And we found something to talk about that made both of us happy. We started talking about New York City falling into ruins, what it would look like. And every time I see a skyscraper, I picture it in ruins, holding fancy selfies, hold the sight of NYC in ruins, and it looks a little better for more windows. They knock out 
And the cousin is a wreath for the fallen king. And with herds of wild boars running rampant through the streets, there will be so much more love than there was before. No more laws, no more cakes, no more coffins. Up with pine trees, up with oak trees, up with ferns. No more laws, no more leaders, no more history. Up with witches, up with wolves, up with whales. This has been Kite Line. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box. Kite Line Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. Thank you for listening. <laughs>